You don't get it, son. This isn't a mud hole. It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. in broad daylight. I know why you're afraid to go out at night. The Batman. See, Batman had shown Gotham the true colors, unfortunately. He's strong, but some clown who thinks he's Batman. I am Batman! cost a fortune. Luckily, I had both. He's down here! I'll freaking silver! You're feeling it now, aren't you? What the rest of us live with every day. Your own mortality. Don't worry, you'll survive. The kryptonite will work its way out of your lungs soon enough. Bruce, your heart. We got them. They got nowhere to go. But I didn't have to go easy on you. A different binding agent, a stronger mix. I want you to remember that. I wanted to remind you to stay out of my way. In all the years to come, in your most private moments, I want you to remember the one man who beat you. Hello, citizens of Gotham. Welcome back to The Eternal Night, a podcast dedicated to the world's greatest detective, the Dark Knight of the DC Universe, Batman. I am one of your hosts. My name is Philip Barker, and unfortunately, I am alone in the cave tonight as my usual co-host, Mr. Craig Blaylock, is feeling a little under the weather. Um, if anyone wants to follow the show, you feel free to follow us on Instagram 
or I don't even know we're not even on threads I still haven't figured out how to get it on threads but you can also follow us on Facebook just search T-E-K underscore podcast you can also leave us a review on iTunes Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify helps the show get noticed and feel free to drop us an email for any questions or comments at eternalnightpod at gmail.com uh, as I mentioned earlier, I am alone in the cave tonight, so um, anyone anticipating the Merry Little Batman review, you're going to have to wait a little bit longer, because as I mentioned, Craig is unfortunately under the weather. He's not feeling too well. It's not COVID, but he's, just to put it lightly, he's just not feeling too well, and my, my heart goes out to him. I know he's trying to get better for uh, some family obligations coming up this weekend as of recording this episode, but um, I didn't want to leave everyone out there without something to listen to for our show so um i'm going to be changing gears here a little bit going to be talking about something a little different something that's a little bit old but uh something i've been seeing in circulation still very batman centric and um i just wanted to give my two cents and offer some insight and some thoughts onto something i've been seeing circulating lately um there was a recent interview and of, co- of course anyone who knows the show knows director I'm about to talk about. I've always been a fan of this man, a fan of his work. He's got a new movie coming out, Rebel Moon, uh, that comes out next week as of this recording. Um, I'm excited to watch that movie and all its gritty sci-fi greatness that will be coming to Netflix. But um, recently, uh, on the 20, just a couple weeks ago, 29th of November, it's now the 14th of December as of recording this, um, Mr. Zack Snyder was recently... Uh, he had an interview with the Hollywood Reporter, and there's been one spot. And interestingly enough, it's funny. This kind of makes me think of something Christopher Nolan had talked about a little while ago. Where if if, if he was asked about the Batman, the, the film Matt Reeves made, that that would be the only thing that would get put out and put in the headlines, and basically the only thing that would make circulation. And sure enough, Zack Snyder talks about anything comic book. That is the one thing that makes headlines to come from an interview that goes over a lot of his filmography a lot of his own history and a lot of his own trials and tribulations in the filmmaking industry that he's been in for a little over two decades now and um ironically enough i did also see another interview where where he called basically what i'm getting at is um in the interview he he was asked basically you know what what would it take for him to come back to dc and the only thing that that would try that would that would be able to get him back would be to do a full-fledged adaptation of the dark knight returns um I believe his exact wording was this is for actually from a podcast or some other interview back in 2021 where he said his adaption would be quote 100 watchman style really frame accurate and uh, I find that very interesting because a lot of a lot of people online, a lot of other shows I've listened to, a lot of other people have expressed this sentiment that, oh, well, he already did The Dark Knight Returns, watch Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. And I, I, I hear that, and I think about that, and I just, I, per- I personally just think that that's a very surface level way of looking at that, that movie and that story. I mean, there are, don't get me wrong, there, there are a lot of very visual cues, a lot of heavy inspirations from The Dark Knight Returns that go into Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, because Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice is an amalgam story rooted strongly between not only The Dark Knight Returns, but also the death of Superman. Spoilers for a movie that's almost 
let's see, it'll be eight years old next March. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, and, and really, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice is, is really more of an inversion of The Dark Knight Returns than it is an outright adaptation that a lot of people seem to be under the impression that it is. But again, don't, don't get me wrong. As I mentioned earlier, there are a lot of inspirational visual cues from that story that are present in this movie. I mean, there there is the, the mech suit, obviously, that, that Batman uses to fight Superman in the, in the third act. There are There's a, a sequence where Batman is on a building and he makes the same exact pose that is on the first cover issue of Batman up against the lightning that is straight up from The Dark Knight Returns. There are a lot of visual inspirations that go into this movie that are very much from The Dark Knight Returns. There are a lot of plot points and elements from The Dark Knight Returns that, that make its way into Batman v Superman. One thing that that stands out to me in particular is the um, the Robin suit. Now, in The Dark Knight Returns, there is a monument there to Jason Todd's suit. Um, obviously, in this movie, it's not Jason Todd who is the dead Robin. It's, in fact, Dick Grayson, which I know is a very contentious point for a lot of Batman fans out there. I understand the sentiment. People want Nightwing and, and want, or rather I should say, wanted Nightwing in the DC Extended Universe, but um, I think with time that creative decision might might garner a little bit more respect down the line. Um, but really, like, the, like there, there are a lot of distinct differences between Batman v Superman and the Dark Knight Returns, and one of which I would like to start off with is, first of all, the, the age difference. Now, in The Dark Knight Returns, Bruce Wayne Batman is actually pushing 60. He's closer to 55, 56, somewhere in, in that ballpark. Um, he's a lot older. He, his body is, I wouldn't say bruised or battered, but he is a big dude for being 56, somewhere in there. Uh, the big difference there is... Um, Obviously, Ben Affleck was cast in the role in August of 2013. He was in his mid-40s, and the way that they, they described Batman at the time was a very seasoned veteran superhero who had been doing it for about 20 years. And given that Ben Affleck's age at the time was 42, 43 when he was cast, by the time the movie came out, he was about 45, 46. He's about 45, 46 in the film itself, so doing the math, that means Batman has been... Uh, in operation for 20 years. That means he started when he was about 25, 26. And I, I think it's also important to stress the idea that in The Dark Knight Returns, by the time that story picks up, Batman has been retired for 10 years. For 10 years, Batman hung up the cape and cowl. And it wasn't until violent acts carried out by a mutant gang slowly but surely drew him back into the fold and inspired him to put the suit back on again whereas in in batman v superman dawn of justice he's very much still at it the difference is uh the 10-year time difference that happened from the death of robin to where we pick up in the movie is really what what, what makes the difference batman's still operating but it's very much um like another story in in batman canon called a lonely place of dying where in, in this story it takes up picks up directly after the death of Jason Todd and it's actually kind of an introductory story to the third Robin, Tim Drake but the thing is, that the, the important element I'm getting at here to stress is the way Batman was operating after the death of Jason Todd. He was cruel, he was darker, he was very much just no F's to give 
beating the absolute pulp out of criminals and in in this in the movie batman v superman you know he's he's branding human traffickers and i I know that garnered a lot of criticism but even still i i I am firm in the idea that that context matters now is branding another human being like the the right approach to go no I, i wouldn't say necessarily but at the same time these are human traffickers for crying out loud so i i would under i i'm not saying i condone it i'm saying i understand the brutality because obviously the way ben affleck played the character the way he was written from Zack snyder in the film was very much from the point of view that that batman has just kind of not necessarily completely given up on the idea of being batman but he's just given up on this this idea that he needs to just be i i guess the best word would be uh safe or cordial with with how he handles and deals out justice i mean when you're in a, when you're in a scenario where you're putting you know a teenager or a young adult in in the line of fire and something happens to him what basically what i'm getting at is when when your adopted son in the form of robin is, is beaten to death by the joker as that's been come out to be confirmed by zach himself you know you you you, you put yourself i would put myself in batman's headspace and and wonder is everything am I doing worth it in the end? Because as he mentions later on in the film with a conversation with Alfred in the ruins of Wayne Manor, he says, criminals are like weeds, Alfred. You pull one out, one just grows up in its place. To me, that indicates that that he looks at crime as just this never-ending cycle that he cannot allow to... It, it, honestly, he feels like he, he's just not making much of a difference, and that that's why he feels the need to go after Superman and really make a point. He says, this is the only thing I do that matters, because he's under the impression that, that Superman could be just the next criminal waiting in the wings to happen if something were to happen almost in the same way that happened to him, where he lost his adoptive son. So he's really trying to... Blinded by a fit of rage and justice, he thinks he's doing the world a greater good by attempting to take out Superman. And ironically enough, it's Superman's the one that, that brings him back to humanity in the film. But the thing to stress in The Dark Knight Returns is there's there's so much, so many different aspects to that version of Batman that, that are just not inherently present in, in the way that the character is written in Batman v Superman, Donna Justice. For, for instance, when Batman... I, I mean the brutality aspect is absolutely present because when Batman puts the cowl back on and goes out for his first night he pulls a creepy like I, I, I wouldn't want to call him stalker but maybe uh, just some kind of heathen who's got a knife and ready to take this poor woman's life he straight up just smashes his fist through a door and pulls this 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 thug through it and you can just see a trail of blood then after that he he stops a pimp from shooting a a, you know an escort and breaks the hand of the pimp by by stomping on it through the window after he pulls his gun out on him and then proceeds to pull this pimp up on top of a taxi and just beats the absolute dog shit out of him so much so that he takes the money that the pimp had given the driver and just tears it up and throws it in his face. Now, the final thing that Batman decides to do is he goes out and saves who would become... Uh, he saves Carrie Kelly, who would later become his 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 second Robin in, in this continuity because The Dark Knight Returns takes place in a alternate Elseworlds timeline. So um, he, he stops Kelly and her friend from being savagely abused by these, these two mutants in a, in a very 
run-down amusement park that's, you know, not lit at all, lights aren't working, and Batman is just brutal. Like, he, he throws a couple batterings into one guy's arm, he pulls another guy forward with his grappling gun and starts to beat the snot out of him, and then another one pulls a gun out on Batman, and Batman promptly, like, goes after him and throws him into one of the electric signs, and it's just... For reference, I'm I'm looking at also the book and the animated film for for reference for the Dark Knight Returns because I do think that the animated film is a, is a near perfect adaptation of that of that story. So bear with me, folks. You, you, I would certainly hope anyone listening to this knows exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't, by all means, check out the Dark Knight Returns and uh, watch the film if you're able to. But yeah, my, the brutality aspect is is very much inherently present in both The Dark Knight Returns and Batman v Superman. That much is abundantly clear. But I think the reasoning why they both are different is, is purely because of, of creative differences. Like, obviously, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Batman comes back after a 10-year hiatus, whereas in Batman v Superman, he is very much still operating, but he's operating under a very darker sense of justice. Um, I think it's also important to note that there are a lot of different antagonists in The Dark Knight Returns that range from Two-Face, the mutant gang, the mutant gang leader himself, the Joker, the Gotham City PD after Jim Gordon steps down and Ellen Yindel's made head of GCPD, and even Superman. The I feel like the only inherent antagonists that are from The Dark Knight Returns and Batman vs. Superman are, in, in short, Superman. That that really is the only only through line that is in both the the book and the film. Now, in the film, obviously the the pulling of the strings that makes the conflict between Batman and Superman happen does happen in the form of Lex Luthor. Whereas in The Dark Knight Returns, there's a it's 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 almost like a gauntlet, but it's also just this this tension rising because there is also a, a B plot in the dark Knight returns where, um, as I mentioned earlier, it's, it's set in an alternate 1986 time frame, and, um, Ronald Reagan is still president. There is a looming war with Russia over the fictional Island of Cordo Maltese and tensions are gradually building with that, along with Gotham city with the return of Batman. And when Batman does make his return, one of the first things he does after his first night out is he, he makes it a point to uh, take out Harvey Two-Face, who has been uh, rehabilitated. But in in light of that rehabilitation, he's taken, Harvey Dent has taken upon himself to bandage himself up, almost like Hush, weirdly enough. And um, he goes back to his old sinister ways, and, and Batman takes it upon himself to, to stop Two-Face. And uh, there's also another shot in Batman vs. Superman that is reminiscent of one shot in particular in the Dark Knight Returns graphic novel, and that is the shot of Batman holding up a, a rifle in which he uses... Um, it, it, it's, it's very much a homage shot. Batman in the, in the book, Batman uses the rifle to create a grappling line to one building from another, and in the movie in Batman v Superman, he uses it as a means to shoot a tracking device onto uh, Lex Luthor's kryptonite crate train fuel lab. yeah basically using it as a tracker to track down where lex luthor is taking this this kryptonite that he intends to completely steal from lex luthor so he can kill superman whereas again in in the dark knight returns he only uses the gun as a means to fire off a, a rope for uh, again like a, a tightrope if you will to to make it from one large building to another um i also think that going back to 
you know, a, bu- a building of tensions of sorts. Like like I mentioned, Batman kind of just goes through a, a gauntlet of villains, starting with, you know, I, I think Frank Miller was really smart in the way he approached the story in terms of how and what he did with Batman and how, you know, he had Batman kind of gradually have an escalation in terms of the 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 opponents that he faced to a certain extent because he starts off with something a little more I don't want to say simple but something that that feels very in line with with what people are familiar with it's Batman taking on one of his rogues in the form of Two-Face but there's also a very you know human moment there at the, at the comeuppance of their their um what's the right word I want to use here um because obviously since Batman's been gone there a lot of his rogues have also been either in rehabilitation or um just out of the picture more or less I mean obviously Selena Kyle does play a small part in the book too and obviously the Joker will play a part as well but after uh they 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 come back together and they're they're confronted with each other again Batman makes it a point to to rip off the bandages of two faces face and and he sees that it's not scarred at all like it it really is just two-face dealing with the 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 trauma that he's still grappling with after all these years i don't quite remember the conversation they had but they they just um there's just a real human moment of reflection there that they are both people of two minds with two different identities going on at the same time um i don't necessarily think that that element is too present in Batman v Superman, but there is really a a, a bit of an identity poli- politic political situation there, especially with like um, how Superman is portrayed. Is he, you know, a being of you know that should act out of accordance with what the government has implied, or is he just this force that should just be left to do what he wants, or is he really just a guy trying to do the right thing, and that, that really does kind of take a, a heavy toll on, on Superman in that story, in that movie, and he's really just kind of questioning his his own morality, his own place in the world, like, it does. he's almost, him and Batman have a very similar internal conflict there of, is what I'm doing matters does is anything i'm doing really making a difference if everyone is just looking at me like i'm either the hero or the villain and i feel like that is very much present in both batman and superman stories i'm not saying that that's a very inherent thing from the the conflict there with two-face but i'm just saying that 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 there are parallels there that are very interesting and, and one and the same um Again, moving back to the the conflict and the escalation that Batman deals with in The Dark Knight Returns, uh, the second antagonist that he is faced with um, is the the mutant gang leader. Uh, It comes to a point where Batman and Gordon have essentially one of their final conversations on top of GCPD, and Gordon makes it clear to him, like, look, if we're going to go out, this is this is kind of how I want to finish things. If you're going to if you're going to do this, do it right. Like, you know. You can't just, you know, rally them all up and throw them all in jail. And Batman's like, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm going to show them what it means to be a leader, what it means to be someone who can be inspiring. And basically, after the mutant leader is taken into custody, after uh, Batman launches an all-out assault on the mutants after he rallies Carrie Kelly to... um go and tell all the mutants she, she, it's pretty smart the way he does it they, they run into each other after she buys a robin costume and puts it on and he basically 
kind of starts taking her under his wing and he um has her go around gotham city and tells the mutants to meet up um at this this yard at this mud hole if you will but before that they they meet when batman launches his assault on on the mutant compound and where they they basically have their their home base and there is very much a very interesting scene there where batman takes out as he likes to call it the batmobile or as as he says in the film and and in in the book uh as dick called it the batmobile and he just launches this massive massive assault on the mutant gang and he uses rubber bullets he has uh electricity like you know electrocute mutants that get on top of the batmobile and then when he's finally confronted with the mutant leader alfred tells him like over over communication line like sir if you go out there he will kill you he's in his prime and batman says it's the only way i'll know and they have a brutal brutal fight and batman tries to match his savagery but is ultimately ultimately he he gets the shit kicked out of him his arm gets broken nose is bloody he's just left with you know he he gets by 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 blinding the mutant leader and it's up to carrie kelly to to kind of save him and she does she brings him back into the batmobile the batmobile is remotely controlled sent back to the batcave and in this moment batman kind of tears the bat suit off of himself and um promptly goes into the cave the deepest darkest pits of the cave and he tries to find his he speaks to his inner self once again now i don't think that this is at all present in batman versus superman the the whole idea of just getting the shit kicked out of him and then making a suit or you know finding a way to to come back from that no that that's not at all present in the film in the film it's just more of a gradual tension of an increase of tension when when he sees superman doing you know acts of goodness or he sees superman being blamed for the capital bombing you know obviously orchestrated by lex luthor like there is a very big difference in the way they approach how batman comes to terms with what he needs to do in in the ultimate arc of the story that both frank miller told in the dark knight returns and what Zack snyder was getting at with batman v superman now going back to the mutant fight with the mutant leader the second round batman as i mentioned earlier has carrie kelly round up all the mutants to this one location and um he takes it upon himself to basically show the mutant leader like look i'm i'm gonna show you why i am who i am and he promptly just takes him out with precision and some of the most tactile fighting batman is notorious for and so much so he he ends the fight with this isn't a mud hole it's an operating table and he promptly snaps the mutant leader's leg and says i'm the surgeon it was one of the most iconic lines from this story and i absolutely loved peter weller's delivery of that line in the film the animated film now there was a line of dialogue that did not make it into the final film batman v superman i'm pretty sure it was only used for for trailer purposes but it was i want to say that the second or third trailer they released for batman v superman right around um either january or february there's a point where batman and superman are fighting and batman says i'm gonna show you what it means to be a man i feel like that that line was a little bit inspired it might even be it's been a while since i've read the dark knight returns i probably should have reread it just to refresh myself before hopping in to talk about it but 
there, there, there is that line there, and I feel like that's either outright from the book itself, or it was heavily inspired by the. This is an operating table. This isn't a muddle. It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. I feel like that, that, that those two lines, that that one line may have inspired the other, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and after you know, Batman promptly kicks the shit out of the mutant leader. Um, a lot of the mutant leader's cronies take it upon themselves to dismantle the mutant gang and, and well some of them do some of them be, decide to stay mutants others decide to disregard that mantle disregard being a mutant and decide to take it upon themselves and become oh, excuse me the sons of batman now that element was actually utilized to some degree in uh the dark knight directed by christopher nolan where there, there were batman carbon copies carrying firearms uh the sons of batman will come back into play at a, in a later time in this movie before the superman fight before in the story as well and I don't think that was at all, that's not at all present in the Dark Knight. Sorry, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. There is no Sons of Batman. There are no inspirational figures, but there are people who do look at Batman like like the savior and protector of Gotham City, whereas other people kind of look at him as this this force, this menace that should not be trifled with. And almost almost in a similar way that that Superman is is perceived by the general public after the uh, Nairobi situation. So, um, moving on in regards to the Dark Knight Returns, the third antagonist that he he is faced with is is his arch nemesis. That that is the Joker. Now, the Joker in the Dark Knight Returns has been stuck in a catatonic state of just I wouldn't I don't really even know how to say it other than as I just said it in a, in a comatose catatonic state where he's just unresponsive and just very much like you know to himself and very much lost in his own madness in his mind but when he finally sees that batman is out and operating again you know he he kind of snaps back into reality a little bit and decides to um you know get out of arkham and he goes on this massive massive just unrelenting killing spree he recruits an old goon of his he has these two little robotic twins that eventually get you know they take it upon themselves to blow themselves up and um but basically you know he starts off with this like letterman interview where this is his opportunity to really escape from um arkham it's not really it's it's like arkham home for it's not called arkham asylum in, in the dark knight returns it's called something else i forgive me i don't remember what it's called but he takes it upon himself after his, his doctor bartholomew walper ta- says you know i've got you an interview i, th- I think you know we can really show people you've changed and obviously this the entire time joker's looking at this situation like oh sure yeah i'll do the interview but i'm not gonna i'm, I'm not gonna show people i've changed I'm, i haven't changed there's nothing about me that's changed and in the in the midst of this interview he takes upon himself to say you know i'm gonna kill everyone in this room and he does he uses his his famous gas and puts on joker smiles on everyone in the crowd he slits the throat of dr Bartholomew walper who might i also add um in Batman v Superman, there there is again a, a a commentary being told on whether or not Superman is doing the right thing. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, that Batman v Superman is more or less an inversion of the Dark Knight Returns. So much so that that they the, the character of Batman is scrutinized and criticized, but also praised by people left and right. 
not on the left and right spectrum, but just in a general sense, left and right people are criticizing or praising Batman's actions after he's resurfaced, whereas in Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, Superman is having his actions either praised or criticized in a similar manner. And Dr. Bartholomew Wolper in The Dark Knight Returns is very much against the idea of Batman and makes the case that, you know, Batman is the reason why you have people like Two-Face, why you people have like people like the Joker, why he there are so many individual insane supervillains running around because Batman is around. Whereas in BVS and Batman vs. Superman, Superman's actions are causing a lot of friction among government factions, among people in the news industry, among, you know, everyday people. And Lex Luthor being the antagonist is taking this opportunity to really pull the strings and eventually pit Batman and Superman against one another. Whereas in The Dark Knight Returns, Batman's actions gradually go from being just a problem to Gotham City that it escalates all the way up to getting the attention of Ronald Reagan, who at this point has Superman being his lapdog, more or less. And as I mentioned earlier, the, the conflict with Cordo Maltese eventually reaches a, a, a point where nuclear bombs are launched and Superman is over there fighting alongside Americans against Russian forces, and so much so that when bombs are dropped, it's up to Superman to stop these bombs. But I'll get back to that later. Getting back to the Joker... This is really where Gotham City PD starts to, to play a part in becoming another form of antagonism for Batman, because after Jim Gordon has effectively retired, after the mutant leader has been put away for good and beaten to a pulp, Ellen Yindel steps in and makes it well known that she will not tolerate the actions of Batman and that she will do everything in her power to put him behind bars. And it's interesting because there's a conversation that is had between Ellen Yindel and Jim Gordon um, and he, he basically has a conversation back to when he was uh, referencing Pearl Harbor and how there was a conversation about how that situation was more or less a situation that was out of his power and he had to let people above him in the form of President Roosevelt make a hard call. And there are just some things that are just not in his control. And I think the idea that he was trying to convey to Ellen Yindel there is that Batman is someone that she's just not going to be able to control in any capacity. And it's not until much, much later that she does come to that realization. But in the meantime, when Batman finds out that the Joker is having an interview with this, I don't even remember, it might be David Letterman in the, in the movie, it might even be someone else. I'm not entirely sure who the interview is with in the story. Again, I should have I should have read this book again before doing this show or doing this episode I should say but more or less as Batman is going to launch his assault on the Joker he is met with Gotham City PD on top of the building and it's up to him and Robin oh actually Robin stays back Carrie Kelly stays back in the Batcopter and, and kind of gives Batman some some assisted fire in the form of the, the Batcopter so um that leaves Batman to take out a lot of GCPD on top of this building, so much so he, again, I'm referencing the movie, but if I remember correctly, he takes all of the cops out and then promptly punches Ellen Yindel in the face, breaking her glasses. But as he's brought back to the Batcopter, Robin informs him that the Joker got away and that hundreds of people are dead. Now, this inevitably leads to Batman's confrontation with the Joker in the amusement mile, in the circus area, in this... Um, I don't, I, the word is escaping me here that this basically kind of a circus setting and, and Batman trails him to the tunnel of love where they have their inevitable final showdown 
and it, it's very telling because there is is kind of a nod there to their relationship in a weird way so much so more so from the joker's perspective in that he thinks that batman and him are in a relationship more or less and you know this this really is kind of another taxing fight on on batman from a physical standpoint because the joker as they're just beating the absolute shit out of each other like leading up to this fight batman throws a battering in his eye and like you know completely stops him and just you know has he he does everything he can to stop him but he knows deep down that the, the joker as long as batman is alive and doing what he's doing the joker will never stop doing what he's doing it is an inevitable cycle between the two of them so this ultimately leads to the batman coming very close to breaking his one rule and he does in fact he breaks the joker's neck but so much so to a point where he paralyzes him and the joker taunts him and he finally gets one over on batman and tells him you know i i i won i made you lose control i did it it was me and i will see you in hell and with his last laugh he breaks his own neck and batman is left there bleeding bloody his stomach cut up to shit and he's just left you know with his actions left with a dead corpse next to him and he's just kind of reflecting on like damn i really went there that was my i i did it i i almost crossed that line and then he's met with the gcpd again and he makes his escape lights the joker's body on fire so there can't be any evidence of what he does now to take it to batman v superman obviously the joker is nowhere near present in this film that much is abundantly clear the joker doesn't even make an appearance in this universe until a completely different movie that comes out some months later in the form of suicide squad and he's played by jared leto and the and the the interpretation done by jared leto as opposed to the version done in the dark knight returns are so vastly different it isn't even funny or i'm not even going to try to compare the two because they are not at all they are not not anywhere near similar in any way shape or form the only real similarities anyone could really try and draw is there were some um photo, some photos that had leaked of of a, a pre-visual appearance of what jared leto's joker was supposed to look like and some of the visual cues he had some of the attire he was wearing was very much inspired by the dark knight returns but other than that really there 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 is no real hard parallels between the version of the joker that is in the dark knight returns or Batman v Superman, Donna Justice, or even Zack Snyder's Justice League. Um, in Zack Snyder's Justice League, at the very tail end of the film, in this this almost Lord of the Rings esque um, what if finale scenario, where where Batman and a crew of people stuck in a nightmare timeline are are left, and they're the last bit of hope for humanity. The Joker is part of his ragtag group, this 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 nightmare league, if you will, and he he looks nothing like the Joker from the dark knight returns and he's almost it's almost even an, an inverse of that version of the joker because he's not really you know he doesn't have he's not killing people he's not there to you know make batman you know do his bidding he's really just there to taunt him and only really there to from what i understand he was there in the nightmare league to only help find a supply of kryptonite to subdue superman while they went for a mother box but that's a whole other conversation detailing certain elements of that story for another day that i'm sure we, we we've gone over it if you guys have listened to this show you've probably listened to craig and i break down the uh the storyboards for what would have been Zack snyder's justice league two and three and i think we might have even mentioned some elements there that were revealed later on in wake of you know the Snyder Cut releasing and having the Joker present and what his role meant there and obviously there were some some confirmation there of you know 
how the the fact that the Joker was the one who killed Robin. Now, I don't know that that was actually the case in The Dark Knight Returns because it's never explicitly said how Robin died. You only get some inner monologue dialogue from Batman stating that, that Robin was a good soldier and that that's it, that Jason Todd was just a good soldier and that he, he died in, in effectively in the line of battle, more or less. Now, getting to the meat of this real parallel here where, where things really do start to come to fruition... Um, the final antagonist that Batman has to come against is Superman in The Dark Knight Returns. And obviously the, the film is titled Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. This is where the parallels really do kind of start to to really, you know, the inspiration, they, they, it really does kind of come full circle in, in, in a lot of ways because the fight between Batman and Superman in the film is very much inspired by the fight between them in the fourth issue of the Dark Knight Returns, which is called the Dark Knight Falls. And they fight. The fight is, is really, it's blistering. It's brutal in a lot of ways, but there are some very key differences. Um, but more or less, in, this, in the book, Batman sets up a ton, a ton of distractions before he finally does face down Superman. Uh, it's very much the same in Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice where he sets up some miniguns and then sets up a, a sonar um, that, that effectively renders Superman's he- super hearing useless and he kind of, you know, it's like a, a sonic blast that, that kind of renders him useless and he has to stop, you know, stop it from happening. And in, in the book, Batman hooks his um, machine up to a, a light pole, I believe, and then fires it off. Whereas um, in, 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 in the movie, it's, it's again, very different. But, you know, they, they effectively do have a, a pretty all-out brawl. And in the book, there, there are some very key differences I would like to point out. Like, for instance, when the book ends, when the, when the fight is done, done and over between Superman and Batman, obviously crypt, a kryptonite arrow is used, and Batman delivers this very iconic speech. Like, you know, it didn't cost... It took me a long time. It cost me a fortune but I wanted to show you the one man who could beat you. That that speech is what I'm getting at. And, like, he effectively just kicks the shit out of Superman and shows him, like, you know, show him his own mortality. Whereas in Batman v Superman, he's using kryptonite to deliberately try and kill him by, by forging a kryptonite spear. Very different, very different outcomes for both because in the end, Batman even went so far as to plan and fake his own death. Whereas in Batman v Superman, Superman effectively brings him out of his dark fit of rage by basically pleading with him on a, on a, on a human level, something that Batman completely overlooked in the, in, in, you know, the, the, the Martha conversation is what I'm getting at. Obviously that is a a huge point of contention among a lot of fans, which to this day, I, I still don't understand why. I mean, I understand it. They're being hissy pissy for, you know, personal reasons. Okay. That's fine. But, but, but on a very human level, when Superman is is at his end, he is literally on his last dying breath. He is pleading for the man to kill him to save his mother, save his adoptive mother, save Martha. And the idea there is that Batman and Superman, Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent, mothers have the same name. Now, I don't know about anyone else, but I identify with that on a very personal level because my one of my best friends growing up and I our fathers have the same name. And to me, you know, that that was something we found out 
long after we had started hanging out at school, but that, that almost really solidified, you know, our, our lifelong friendship. And we're still friends to this day, honestly, but that's, that's not to say that when we did start hanging out and we started talking to each other, like there were, there were some conflict, there was some playfulness there because we were kids at the time. But yeah, I I mean, looking at, at things from a, a realistic perspective and where Batman and Superman are and Batman v Superman, like where they are in their head spaces respectively, like Batman is this at his near, near the end of his rope, he's jaded, he's pissed off he feels like he can't do anything and that all his crime fighting has amounted to sfa and superman is just at his absolute lowest he's constantly criticized in the media by everybody one way or another and he's just you know he's he's at his wits end like he he feels like he's about to give up and if batman's going to be the one to kill him his last act of humanity is like okay if you're going to do this just at the very least save my mom like that's the whole reason I came to fight you. That's the whole reason why Lex Luthor is doing this because he kidnapped my mother, and I just want her to be safe. Like if if you can do something for me, do that. And in that moment, Batman realizes that he is literally become the very thing he swore to fight. He literally became Joe Chill. And I think that moment of self reflection, on top of the fact that holy shit the guy I'm about to kill, his mom has the same name as my mom who died, and I'm literally about to be the guy who killed my own mother. I'm not going to do that. And in that moment, Batman realizes he was wrong, and that everything he did was completely under a a total bias of ignorance and blindness. And in that moment, he swears to Superman, like, I will make you a promise. Martha won't die tonight. That's not only a promise to Superman, that is a promise to himself. Because when he was, as we saw in the beginning of the movie, in the beginning of Batman v Superman, he's reflecting on the fact that he could not save his own mother, that his father could not save their family. And now he has effectively an opportunity to save his own soul and also save the soul of the person he almost killed as well and do right by someone when he couldn't do right by himself as a child. Obviously, there are massive, massive differences there in the in the climax of The Dark Knight Returns and in Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. And obviously, you know, the ending of Batman v Superman ends with the death of Superman, which was inspired by the death of Superman comic with Doomsday being the one to deliver the final blow killing Superman. But, you know, the, again, you know, like that's where we get the homage of The Dark Knight Returns. Even the, even the kryptonite gas is, I, I, I want to say, inspired by The Dark Knight Returns. Like, could be totally wrong about that but excuse me even even batman's look in this movie is 100 percent the dark knight returns suit minus the trunks like like if you look at ben affleck's batman costume and you look at the dark knight returns it is literally a page to screen near perfect adaptation and i love that i absolutely adore that but i i i wanted to break all of this down because I I really am kind of tired of people saying well he already did the Dark Knight Returns no, no he did not he really didn't he pulled heavily from it but he did not do a page to screen perfect adaptation like he did Watchmen now if Zack Snyder ever wanted to return to DC in any capacity well after everything's all said and done with DC Studios because let's let's Let's, let's 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 put our gloves on the table here, General. Or sorry, let me let me rephrase that. Let's put all our cards on the table here, General. A little Man of Steel reference there for all you fans out there. The comic book genre isn't dying. 
it may be a little fatigued at the moment because I again as I've said elsewhere as I've probably said on the four nerds as I might have said on the vodka stream as I've said even on this show we are not in a state of true superhero fatigue what we are seeing are general audiences now clutched with the idea of I can wait to see it on streaming if people want to go out to see a movie in the theater it has to feel spectacle it has to feel like an event it has to feel like you need you 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 have to feel compelled to go see the film that you cannot do what has been done and what has been happening for at least the last two years people are showing excuse me people are showing signs that they can just easily wait for it to be done on a streaming service they can wait for it to hit physical if they really wanted to wait that long they can wait the 45 day window to for it to hit you know if you're a marvel fan you can wait for it to hit disney plus if you're a dc fan you can probably wait for it to hit on max or amazon depending on the licensing deal at the moment i mean hell a good portion of the dc films just went to netflix no that doesn't mean the snyderverse is going to restore netflix let's stop that right now but back to my main point I think that that both at the moment Kevin Feige and James Gunn have a very tall task ahead of them where they 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 really have to stop being more so Kevin Feige's case than than James Gunn's case because obviously he's about to do an entire universe reboot with a new film starting with Superman Legacy and obviously there's going to be a new Batman there with Brave and the Bold and you know got a booster gold show green lantern show whatever he he, i I feel like james gunn might have a bit of an easier time getting his universe off the ground whereas i think kevin feige is going to have a a bit more of a difficult time because you know that track has been laid and it's going to be very interesting to see how he pivots or how they decide to pivot from from the storytelling because obviously you know ant-man quantumania and the marvels did not do what i think that that marvel was expecting them to do at the box office hell disney i don't think has even had a, a billion dollar year for the first time in years from any of their films so truthfully i i think people aren't necessarily tired of seeing superhero movies i feel like people are tired of seeing the same superhero movies and i'm echoing that same sentiment from from mr christopher phil lord and chris miller i don't remember which one of them said it but they they executive produced the uh the spider-verse across the spider-verse and they're working on beyond the spider-verse and honestly the two most successful comic book films of the year are across the spider-verse and guardians of the galaxy volume three Across the Spider-Verse because that had a very large anticipation for it. It had, you know, the, the end of the Spider-Verse drew a lot of attention from a lot of different people. So there, there, it was a really good story, and people wanted to see how that story followed up. And then in the case of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, that was in and of itself a, a, an event in a way that, number one, it was James Gunn's final film in the, in, in the MCU that he was ever going to do. It was the final bow for that crew of Guardians of the Galaxy, like, you know, Star Lord, Gamora, Rocket, even though the movie ends with Rocket Raccoon and and Groot forming a whole new team of Guardians of the Galaxy, so I, I don't at all doubt that there probably is going to be another Guardians of the Galaxy film. It's just probably not gonna feature Star Lord, Gamora, Nebula, or Drax. But, you know, that remains to be seen. We'll see what happens. But I do think that if in another ten years, when, you know, superhero films have really run the gambit and we've move past you know a multiverse storytelling crutch we've moved past you know the from what i understand from what i recall i believe james gunn is taking a bit more of a, a star wars approach to to 
doing the DCU and the way he wants to tell those stories and that they are they're not necessarily on a, on a through timeline where things happen in, in you know sequential events but but things just happen here there here there in that I, I would I would imagine that Superman Legacy is taking place earlier on a timeline but then by the time you get to Batman Brave and the Bold with Robin being Damian Wayne and Batman being a little bit older, that also gives, you know, David Cornsweet, the newly cast Superman, time to age into his role. And that way you can kind of justify having Superman be a little bit older and also have that pedigree there with Batman. So I, I, I'm honestly not sure. I'm not trying to make too many assumptions on, on how that's going to go. But that, that's just kind of the, the way that it's feeling to me. I could be totally wrong about that. But to get back to the, the main, main point of what I'm getting at here is I wholeheartedly believe in the idea that, that if Zack Snyder really wanted to and DC just decide, DC Studios, whoever decides to, you know, if we really want to branch out and really make good on this this Elseworlds banner that we have that as of the moment consists of the Batman Part 2, Joker Folie do. And even rumors swirling that it could could include a, a second Constantine film with Keanu Reeves reprising the role. I could see that happening as well. Um, but if they really wanted to make good on that on that Elseworlds banner, I would say that that doing a, a straight up adaptation of The Dark Knight Returns would be something that that could happen down the line. I think a a Batman Beyond film is something that could happen in the pipeline. I think doing a a, a Valzad Superman movie is absolutely plausible in in that same vein i i think even doing something along the lines of a you know a yara floor wonder woman or even um you know a, a a multiverse justice league that you don't even just see traditional versions of batman superman flash aquaman wonder woman green lantern like i, I feel like that could very well be on the table too i mean hell if they really wanted to i'd imagine maybe superman red sun might be up for a live action adaptation i'm, I'm honestly not sure the, the main point is that is that i think dc has a wide enough elseworlds library to where if, if dc really wanted to start getting some more traction and bring people to to a theater again instead of just doing something along the lines of a of a typical superhero cinematic universe then I absolutely think doing Elseworlds stories in a live action form would be a, a good route to explore for them and if again if, if Zack Snyder was able and willing to do a Dark Knight Returns adaptation I absolutely believe that it, it would be possible now what does that look like that that is the question I mean because that's a it's it's a it's it's not the thickest book but it's it's got a lot of heavy dense storytelling to it and obviously after seeing Watchmen I wholeheartedly believe that he can do a 1980s gritty Dark Knight Returns story and have Batman be 55 56 whoever you just get this hulking giant aged actor to play the role of Batman you get someone in their you know their early 40s or so to be Superman and you know I do think that you know in in the same vein that he did Zack Snyder's Justice League I feel like he would do it in the same way you know you have you know part one the Dark Knight Returns part two the Dark Knight Triumphant part three Hunt the Dark Knight and part four the Dark Knight Falls I, I wholeheartedly believe that there, there is absolutely no question about it that if Zack Snyder wanted to do a straight-up adaptation of The Dark Knight Returns, he could absolutely pull it off. Given that he is one of the only directors in Hollywood who has that many comic book films under his belt, 
if that's the story he wants to do, then he absolutely has the pedigree and, and you know, clout to be like, yeah, I want to do this story, and I'm probably the only one who could pull it off and do it. And even after seeing Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, I am 100% convinced that, yes, he can absolutely do The Dark Knight Returns and make it feel unique, make it feel fresh, make it feel like he's at, he's bringing this story to literal life. I 100% believe that he would do aged, crusty, angry Batman. He would do Two-Face. He would do the mutant leader. He would 100% do the Joker. Of course he would do Superman. Now, would he bring back Ben Affleck and Henry Cavill? Absolutely not, no. He's made that clear ten times over every time he's asked about it. Like he said, no, I, w- I would cast different people, and I honestly think that's that's the right approach to do, honestly. Um, I would be very curious to see who else he'd cast as, like, you know, Jim Gordon, and as Two-Face, uh, even, you know, some of the mutants. You'd probably imagine some of his, you know, usual people he'd probably cast in, in you know, sparing roles. I, I could see them making a return. I, I'd really like to see who he'd cast as Carrie Kelly. But ultimately, I do feel like there is a case to be made that that people are really dismissive of the idea of him doing Dark Knight Returns because, quote, they already he already did it in Batman vs Superman. I I don't at all agree with that sentiment whatsoever. I I one hundred percent believe that if Zack Snyder wanted to, he could absolutely do a version of the Dark Knight Returns in full live action form, and it would be exceptional it would be true to the comic and it would it would just be a visual feast unlike anything else and it would be it would be a batman story that would be i would say in in a similar capacity to to the batman where you have this very spiritual take on the character that is unlike anything that has come before and i i I feel like the dark knight returns would absolutely fall into that category of a great elseworld story to be adapted 100 percent but i think that that's ultimately my my thoughts on the situation that's where i i kind of land on it i i'm not one of those people who's like oh no he already didn't it did it in bbs no no he didn't he pulled elements from the book for the movie absolutely but it's not a straight-up adaptation of, of that book i would 100 percent be down for that book to get that adaptation from him 100 percent so yeah, that that's really where I'm at with, this, with with that topic of conversation. I know it's been making the rounds for the last few weeks, but I, I felt like I I, I kind of needed to get out there and uh, again put something out there for you guys to so you know you have something to listen to because obviously you know as I mentioned earlier we we intended to do a merry little Batman review, but as I mentioned, like Craig is not feeling well; he's a little under the weather. So um, we're going to try and shoot for that in the next couple weeks, maybe even closer to Christmas time, to be brutally honest with you. I think we, that would actually make for a really good Christmas episode. But in the meantime, I, I really hope this suffices. If you have any thoughts or comments or you want to offer you know, a difference of opinion, that's fine too. Again, you can uh, feel free to drop us an email, uh, eternalnightpod at gmail.com. If you have any questions or comments, or again, a difference of opinion, a difference of, of insight or perspective, as, as I like to say. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty much it for this tinier solo episode of uh, The Eternal Night. Uh, if anyone wants to follow me, feel free to follow me just at Unfiltered on Vero, Instagram, Threads, or Blue Sky, as I am also no longer on X, as is the show is no longer on X. Um, again, as I mentioned earlier, you know, feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or even um, 
Spotify. It, it, it really does help the show get noticed. It helps us, you know, it just kind of helps the show make its rounds. And we really appreciate it. Um, other than that, as, as we always like to say, everyone, uh, keep it classy in the cave. Stay safe. Have a great day or night. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Eternal Night Podcast. This podcast is not affiliated with Warner Brothers Discovery or DC Studios. If you would like to follow along with the show, you can do so. At, just search for T-E-K underscore podcast on X, Instagram, and Facebook. If you would like to listen to the show, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. If you would like to leave us an email, feel free to do so at eternalnightpod at gmail.com. Thank you for your time.